hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. I'm Dave, and I'm... Pro- oh, can we start again? Because that's just shit. Sorry. Start again. <laughs> if you want to. Yeah, okay. start again. Four, three, two. Welcome back to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Your usual host, Joe Ford, is taking a back seat on this episode. I think he's somewhere. Uh, oh, there he is on the screen still. But uh, I'm Dave, and I'm with the lovely Lucy McCall. Say hello, Lucy. Hello. And the dishy Daniel Knight. Say hello, Daniel. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Never been called dishy uh, before. And I can think of an adjective beginning with a J, so I'll just say hello, Joe. <laughs> I think Daniel's very dishy. The only J I, I could think of was juicy. I don't know if that's appropriate. <laughs> juicy? <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> that is a scurrilous rumour. <laughs> we're back here for part two of planet of fire we're in sunny lanzarote and seeing people in their pants and, and bikinis and so on and yeah the master's just appeared with his infamous line and of course are we going to do it again no we probably won't no. do it. Oh, it i am the master and you, you will, obey. will obey me brilliant so are we going to part two let's do it and somebody want to count us in? Lucy? Yeah, okay. So in five, four, three, two, one, go. So we've got the master. In the pantheon of masters, where does uh, Anthony Ainley sit for all of you? I'll go to Lucy first. Okay. Um. So Roger Delgado is always going to be tops for me, I think, just because... I don't know if it's because he's the first, but he is the benchmark by which all other masters um, are are set. Um, Anthony Amy was obviously the master I saw first when I was watching this the first time around. And I found him um, scary, I think, and nasty. And he was obviously the big baddie. So when I was a child, re-watching him as an adult, it doesn't quite hit quite as well, I don't think. Um, possibly because he veers a little bit towards the um, kind of pantomime villain. And also there is so... I mean, I know that the Master was in the whole of the series with with, um, John Pertwee, but when you get to the point where it's like, oh, you escaped from wherever it was again, (laughs) it it was kind of a bit, you know, really? Um, So, I mean, I, I I do like his Master and I do think he has moments of being genuinely creepy. Um, but he's been slightly edged to the side by Derek Jacobi, who is just, even though he's only on our screens as the master for a fraction of anybody's time, is, I think somebody described him on Twitter as being a magnificent bastard, and he just is (laughs) capable of so much bottomless evil, and in the audio adventures as well. You get to points where, like, it's almost like the floor drops out from under you. Because you think, oh, is he going? Yeah, of course he's going to kill all those people or do <laughs> do whatever it is. Do you know, I think the most sinister line, genuinely, in all of Doctor Who is, oh, now I can say I was provoked. Yes. That is so yeah. scary, that line. The fact that he can show you, I mean, he's he's a, a magnificent actor. He just fantastic 
he can show you the whole change in character without changing his expression. It's all in the eyes. Yeah. And you know yeah. when you look at him that, that that's happened. It's like, um, yeah, so the Perry, of course, is one of those people who the master can't hypnotise, much to his disgust, <laughs> and is Daniel? now turned back Sorry. into comedian again. Hmm. Yeah, he's veering towards one and the other and has a humanoid silver face as well, which I, I was struggling to follow what was going on there. Is, it, is that Howard or it, chameleon sort of in the middle isn't it it's, yeah. yeah it's kind of chameleon sort of coming to coming apart a bit isn't he at this point he's breaking down so what's your thoughts daniel on Ainley's master <clears throat> um well as a kid he was slightly more scary than i find him as an adult i mean it, it's very much he's very much portrayed as the panto villain but um uh, there's there's as as Lucy said, there's there's a repetitiveness about oh you escape from Zarephas, oh you escape from you know, 12th century or 13th century Britain, oh you escape from here, you escape and, and it's it it does devalue the character so much um, that actually it, it takes a story of like, like survival to really get the master back on track as a as a, a serious villain. Mm. I mean, I think. I, I love Mark of the Rani, but it really doesn't doesn't do the master any favours, particularly when she knees him in the cobblers um, oh at one God. point. Um, I love that bit. It's, I mean, it's very funny, but it's like you know, two master, two two villains squabbling. Um, but, but I mean, he's he never he never gives a dull performance. He never gives a a bad performance. It's just as a as a performance. There's no subtlety apart from in Logopolis and that the bit where he's he's sort of you know wiping his arms with the dust and and being very very particular and the bit where he's he's shaking he puts it doesn't he put his hand on on Tom Baker's shoulder and Tom and Tom's doctor sort of flinches mm. showing yeah. just how utterly repellent the doctor finds the master which then goes sort of against what they later come in with this story as well where at the end where, he's, where he, he says, will you show no mercy to your... And then, of course, the fandom has been uh, speculating on who that is, you know, ever since. Was it your own kind, your own brother, your own father, your own, you know, sister, whatever? <laughs> um, yeah. And then you've got... I mean, I, I, I agree with you, Lucy. Derek Jacobi's master is, is brilliant, and it would have been brilliant to, 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 to see him in more stories. And I, I haven't listened to all of the 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 big Finnish audios, but I know that he's brilliant in those. Oh, he's so um, good. Michelle Gomez, I think, is is really good too. Um, particularly in that scene in in um, Death in Heaven where she kills Osgood. That's really sinister. Really, really um, unnerving. Now. Yeah. Um, I do um, like the pay. I do, I, admittedly, I like the payoff of this. This the master in, in what appears to be a control room. Mm. That the payoff of this does, is quite good. I think they do string that out quite well. Yeah, and I, I've got to be honest, from memory, watching it as a kid, seeing the cliffhangers part three and going, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, as as a as as a nine year old would do, you know. Oh wow, is you know, it, it is quite a nice, clever twist. Joe, uh, with 
I, I, I agree with Lucy. I think Del, Delgado is the ultimate master. Mm-hmm. And I agree with Daniel. I think Anthony Ainley never fails to disappoint. And I just want you to think about the stories he's in at the moment. Time Flight, Trial of a Time Lord, episode 12 and 13, and how bloody dreary they would be if Anthony Ainley didn't turn up and camp out yeah. and, and, yeah. and bring a Oh, bit no, absolutely. He's, he's doing what he's he's asked of him in, in the role. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's doing it well. It's just that it gets... When when I think it was time flight where I kind of went, oh really? <laughs> I'd rather have him as the master than going Sharam Sharam. Yeah, that's <laughs> just no, no. That's the but then of course the, the, then there's the thing the the reveal of the disguises that get more and more and more improbable. Yeah, yeah. well, but the other uh, thing that's weird about him is um, Ainley's so obscure. Like Delgado, you, there's a lot of background about him. There's a lot of stories about him. People will tell you a lot about him. Jacoby, Dewan, all of them. Mm. Anthony Ainley, he's got an autobiography out, I think, or a biography. But all the actors said, none of them really got to know him. All they knew was that he liked cricket and playing the master. He was quite like, an enigma. Yeah. yeah. Like, that I find quite interesting. Because you know? <laughs> actors tend to want to, you know, show off a bit and, and make it a bit about themselves. I think well, he just not loved... necessarily. I mean, some some actors become actors because they don't want to be themselves. That's very because true. Because they feel more yeah. comfortable being other people. And I mean, even the, the best the best of the best of actors, like Judy Dench, for instance, I've seen a documentary about her. When she goes into rehearsal, she always puts her bag next nearest to the door. Oh, because because that's her. Because then she's got an uh, an escape route, right? So yeah, if she needs to be. She can be first out of the room. Obviously, Anthony Amy then just enjoyed playing insane megalomaniacs. That <laughs> well, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's also the thing, and I, I think particularly to. I mean, it's it's nice in a way that people can uh, interact with actors and talk to them and. I mean, I, I really like now being able to just say, go on social media and say thank you to somebody if mm. I've enjoyed the performance or something that they've done. It's just, you know, it feel it feels nice. But on the other hand, there is this thing with the the more that you know about a person, does that sort of affect the way you see their performance? I think so. I, th- I, I, think, so, yeah. I think so. Uh, there's a wonderful story about Anthony Ainley in when Big Finish were doing Dust Breeding. They were going to bring the master back. And so they caught in touch with Anthony Ainley. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. But I want double the amount the doctors are getting. And I want script and actor approval in the stories. And they actually, what well, Gary Russell and Jason Haley actually went away and tried to make that happen. And mm-hmm. then halfway through the conversation, Gary Russell went, it ain't worth it. They phoned him up and said, look, I'm sorry, we can't accede to all of your demands. And Anthony Ainley went, oh, you'll be back. I'll be waiting by the phone. And then they got in Jeffrey Beavers instead. <laughs> Jeffrey <laughs> Beavers is the one. Yeah, he's the one for me that is the most unsung, because you see him only once and keep the tracking. And you often, well, I remember when I first saw that, thinking, well, I preferred Peter Pratt's sort of interpretation of this. But how wrong I was, because on the audios, just made me appreciate him so much. What well, he is fantastic in the audios. He's the most underrated master by mm. a country mile for me. He's he's brilliant. He's brilliant I mean, he's... as this evil, um, just this master on the edge. Because of course he's playing what's the crispy masker, isn't it? <laughs> and he's yeah, he's just 
bloody brilliant. And it made me appreciate the keeper of tracking performance even more. If you go back to the keeper of tracking, he's deliciously evil being the milker and doing all the lines and uh, and of course the lines with Cassia, but that's a story for another time. What do you think of the Ailey one then, Dave? I think, I just agree with what he's been saying, that I think he's too pantomime-esque, um, but he's having a lot of fun, but survival. His best two performances are survival and when he's Tremas in Keeper of Tracking. Oh, yes. He's very good, yeah. And he's very good because he's not hamming it up. And it's interesting how what they say is that he was asked to sort of camp it up. So if he wanted to play that all the way through, but I agree with you, Joe, if he had done that sort of performance in survival and Trial of Time Lord, it wouldn't have had the fun fact yeah. It's a weird so, trade-off, isn't it? Like, it is, yeah, but he's, the disguise is fine. I mean, the Portrieve, I was totally fooled when I first saw that. I totally never got it with him. So was Sophie Aldred. When they were watching on Behind the Sofa, Sophie Aldred and Mark Strickland are watching that, and she's going, <laughs> oh, this actor's really good playing the Portrieve, isn't he? And then when he turned to <laughs> No, it's at the end. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I was totally fooled. But of course, Giles is stram and some of the others are just like, oh, come on, you know, as soon as he's there. But, um, and then John Sims, of course, is um, Razor, isn't it? He, mm-hmm. He's the character. I was fooled by that as well. I knew he was turning up, but it never occurred to me, oh, that's him. So it's when it works, it's good. But of course, you need the decency to disguise. I do one. love the, the, the sort of the key characters that the master can't hypnotize yeah like he can't hypnotize perry she knows that it's chameleon so she's trying to get chameleon to come out um the master the the the, the first master couldn't hypnotize miss hawthorne and does this wonderful eye roll when he can't hypnotize her um well he so, can yeah. hypnotize joe can't he and then it's a plot yes. later on when he can't hypnotize yeah, her he can't. it's in frontier in space she starts singing nursery rhymes and she's yes. like, oh, yeah you did it to me once i'm not you know i'm not gonna fall <laughs> yeah. for that one again he goes i always hated nursery rhymes yeah we're <laughs> <laughs> <great. laughs> seeing the real master with her hair dryer on in this story yeah. oh and chameleon is back as silver howard the one I thing know. Could somebody maybe explain this to me? Why on earth do you think that, that he's in a suit? What, I never got what that was about. Well, I think it's a hybrid of the Master and Howard, isn't it? It's like yeah, yeah. but I the, master's the Master's not wearing a suit. The Master's trying to. Yeah. I don't know, no, because Howard wasn't wearing. A, I mean, at least thought, we never yeah, saw the I... Howard in his trunks. That would have been worse. <laughs> yes. I thought, yeah, he he's not uncomfortable enough in the silver makeup. We'll shove him in a suit. In I just, yeah, I just well. thought it's a bit. You're going to a hot country like Lanzarote, and you've got a guy going about in a suit, but mm-hmm. it's not really clear why. No, but doesn't doesn't Amy's master look good in a suit though? Oh yeah, oh yeah, he looks the part. Yeah. So now we've got the Doctor and Turlo who are exploring. The the mysterious machinery with the with the rebels who are resistant to the appeal of of Logar. That's and that rebel is isn't that Doctor Plaxon from Blake Seven? It's Barbara Shelley, yeah, the yeah. famous Hammer Star. Um, yeah, she's in she's Doctor Plaxon in in Blake Seven. She's also Venus Brown in the the Avengers episode from Venus oh, with Love. Yeah. And is she's it, also in the Quatermass in the Pit, isn't she? Yes. Well, she's in quite a few hammers. Um, Dracula. Prince Did she of get Dark. her tits out? <laughs> no. Oh, usually do you know do. who they asked? Do you know who they asked to play that part before she got the part? Eleanor Bron. Eleanor Bron, really? What, this, yeah. what Sarasta? Yeah. Because she's quite a small part. 
I mean, you've got yeah. you've got the two. Well, you've got the three sort of. She wouldn't um... have been if Ellen Lebron had been playing her, though, would she? <laughs> no, and I'm so glad she didn't do it because then we would have maybe been uh, not given her fantastic performance the next year, of course. She was holding out of... to control the food supply for the whole, <laughs> yes, of the whole, whole universe. galaxy. Whole galaxy. <laughs> there's there's a lot of what ifs in yeah. in eighties Doctor Who. I mean, what if Shara's jacket been David Bowie? Yeah. I what mean... if um, Flast had been played by uh, Flast? Yeah, the leader of the Cryons was apparently they they were they approached Maureen Lipman yes. to play Flast. Oh. Um, but I think I mean Faith Brown, not the first choice, but really good actually, really oh, yeah. really good. What and if Christian, Baker... Christopher Gable is ex- extraordinarily good? Yeah, as absolutely. It. Yeah. Um, what although, if yeah. Baker hadn't been given the boot? And had a couple of years with Andrew Cartmel script editing. That's an interesting one. Yeah, that would have been fascinating. That would have been brilliant. I could just see him in Paradise Towers, you know. So Perry's now just getting into scrapes on the mountain and she's trying to. What's she trying to oh. do? Oops. <laughs> oh, yes. That oh, yeah, she's done that herself. Yeah, no stunt double. She's she's trying to get away from the, the master. Stroke Howard, who has just turned, is being greeted by um, the priest and his cohorts as the the saviour, the outsider who will come and uh, and save them all from the wrath of the volcano. Yeah, let's talk about Peter Wingard a bit because before we started this, there's a lot of stories about this guy. I mean, a lot of stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's obviously most famous as Jason King um, in the seventies, but. Oh God! Where do we begin? Um, <laughs> Can I tell what? This is a family show or not? <laughs> there's, there's a wonderful story about how um, how he goes to Fiona coming in. I want to play it old. I'm going to play it mm. like an old geezer. And apparently, JNT was in earshot of Peter Davison going, but he is old. <laughs> <laughs> no active required. Yeah, but you say that, but then so um when um uh the the film of um Widows, the Steve McQueen film of Widows that was recent quite recent, I really enjoyed. But he, he was saying to um Jason Robots, you know, you have to play this character like an old man and he said, I am an old man. He said, No, you're you're Jason Robot, you're not playing it. <laughs> you're not playing it as an old man, you're playing it you're, you need to be older. He wanted to put old makeup on as well, but yeah. I think GNT said, "Wait, JNT a minute, if I'm getting... yeah, because yeah. you cast somebody like Peter Wingard, do you want to see that it's Peter Wingard?" Yes, absolutely. That's what you cast him for. Yeah, apparently on the in the rehearsals, he played it that way. On the plane, JNT tried to talk to him, and he said, "No, I'm going to play it old." And then apparently, he got the costume on right, and the second he was on, he was like, "No, I can still do this young, die my moustache." Yeah, <laughs> he was in. <laughs> Oh, he's great. Then there's the story about obviously the, the GP hud or something, and then um the guy who plays Malcon, I've forgotten his name, crashed it. So he had to say he had hired this Jeep and then he had to go to Peter Wingard and say, Oh, I'm so sorry, but I've crashed your Jeep. And apparently he said, Oh, there's that's no trouble, old chap. And then he went to the the car place and tried to make out that that's the condition it was in when when he hired it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think it was Jason Robards. Anyway, forget that. But yes, the actors who actors who are older do not always act old. Yeah. 
And this, of course, is Turlow's last story. It is, yes. Mm-hmm. The, also, uh, trion, the the highly technical try-on communication uh, <laughs> device scared. of some baked bean tins and a bit of string. And that fabulous triangular symbol on his arm that he's been hiding for his entire tenure. Yes. That's why he kept his blazer on all the time. Aye. Uh, but he's starting to crumble now. He's starting to give, give himself away. Are we supposed to lie to Turlow? Because you know what? In episode one, when he thinks he's the chameleon's getting a signal from Tryon, he sends like a pulse for him, doesn't he? And hurts him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But he, I mean, I, I think, I think by the end, you're supposed to, if not like him, then understand him a bit more. Because yeah. he, he, because as far as he knows, he's still a wanted man. Um, I understand his motives, yeah. And he's, he's determined to, I mean, he's sort of, he's kind of got a bit more, for want of a better word, human, um, having been, because in, in uh, like, Warriors of the Deep, he's all like, no, why do humans always want to do the heroic thing? Just survive. Don't, don't be stupid. Don't run away, and then you can come. Um, what I don't quite get is how old this other character is supposed to be—the brother who was collected as a baby on the on the mountain. And can yeah, I say oh. the the sequence in the appalling special edition that they put out? Have you any of you seen it? No, I watched it once on the They basically have taken out the music, which mm-hmm. is one of the best things about this story, and they've added flames to all the location scenes, and then they put in this videotape sequence at the beginning featuring the ship heading towards Sar, oh, yeah. and the fella goes, get your son to safety, and the, the ship crashes, and then the camera sort of pans over onto the baby, and that's supposed to be Malcon as a kid landing on Sam. Yeah, because he said they said he was a baby, and that's where the the priest found him when he was a baby. I wondered if he was whether perhaps they were intending to have a sort of a younger. I mean, he looks like a teenager, doesn't he, or sort of mid-teens because he's sort yeah. of gangly and a bit um, naive, and whether it was supposed to have been a child or a younger teenager in the part. Lucy's the chosen one. Of course he looks young. <laughs> yeah, I know, but if, if you if you if you think that I mean I don't know how old Turlow is actually supposed to be. Is he meant to be a young adult? Is I he think meant so. to I yeah. Think yeah. So, yeah. so he's, he's yeah. presumably the people on Tryon are supposed to look younger than than humans because they all look about twelve when they turn up with their yeah. Turner was at Brendan School, wasn't he? So he's supposed to yeah. be what, fifteen. So he's 16, supposed to be. Or? He's pretending to be um, a teenager in exile in the school, but but that doesn't sort of the age difference between him and his younger brother. How many years have meant to have passed? <laughs> that is a yeah. singularly Doctor Who fan approach to watching a story, you know. Well, no, it's just a me approach to it. <laughs> <laughs> Still, Perry is re- reunited with um, her reluctant knight errant. And <laughs> she gets to relax for like one minute and then she's having to run again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the master, of course, is now in the the flame room as well, the main hall. Yes. And he gets to ham it up brilliantly. Oh, he gets another classic line at the end. We're going to have to do that one as well. Sorry. What's, what line's that? I can't remember. He says, um, See that this doctor burns slowly. And that's the that's like <laughs> Here, Dave, can I hijack this for just one second? Of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> 
because there's something I was going to point your out. Podcast. <laughs> know, this is your turn. But I just want to say, I think in terms of production value and in terms of JNT being a producer that can put money on the screen, I think this is one of his best stories. I think the sets are very good and well lit. The location work is fantastic. The music is really good. There's impressive actors in there as well. Like in terms of production value, I think this is about as good as classic Doctor Who gets. He could make that very small purse stretch quite far when he wanted to. Admittedly, you get Twin Dilemma in there and things like that as well. That's that's the payoff for spending the money here. But he could do it. He could really make it stylish. Oh, 100%. He gets a bad press too often, I think, GNT, and he doesn't get enough credit for things like that. Sorry about that. No, it's <laughs> coming up for it. Oh, here we go. See that this doctor burns slowly. And then Peter Davison's doctor just looking very, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> do you know what? Davison is really good in this, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's very good in it, yeah. When he's given when he's given material to work with and um the character has character. Once he'd settled on what his character was going. I mean obviously they they I think I I don't want to say that they hired him obviously he was he he's a complete contrast to Tom Baker and he always was going to be. But it's almost like um, in some ways, the three sort of my, my three in inverted commas doctors were hired to be faces rather than personalities. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, we'll have him. He looks good. Yeah, okay, fine. Well, what do you want him to do with the part? Oh, well, that's up to him. And how are they supposed to know? Yeah. They're actors. Uh, the thing about Tony, I was going to say because when they asked. Tom Baker to do the part. They sort of asked him, "Well, what are you going to do?" Rather than giving him ideas, so I think they took Barry Letts and Philip Hinchcliffe and Terence Dix took Tom Baker out. So you got the part. What are you going to do with it? He said, "I don't know." And then they they're saying, "Oh, come on, come on, stop messing about. What are you going to do?" And Tom Baker said he doesn't have any really no idea. I think I think producers sometimes think of the Doctor as being a blank canvas, which isn't very helpful. And I think. If you get strong scripts like Tom did, you've got, I mean, if you think about that first season, okay, Robot, it's very much um, a unit sort of throwback. But then you get the Ark, you get Ark in Space and you get um, Genesis of the Daleks, two of the best scripts that a Doctor could have. Mm. Poor old Peter gets Four to Doomsday, which isn't brilliant, um, and Castro Valva, which doesn't really feature his Doctor that much at all. I mean, it, I think also when he gets settled in with, with visit, Visitation and, and Kinder, I can't imagine any other Doctor doing Kinder. I can't imagine Tom no. being in Kinder. No. So he does have his sort of personality there. And yet weirdly, then I think they overcompensated with Colin Baker's Doctor and they gave him yeah. like this massively brash, violent, over-the-top characterization. And then he had to struggle to get moments of charm in there and moments mm. of humour. Whereas if they just sort yeah. of let him play it, essentially, like he wanted isn't it? to. Mm. I mean, the seventies doctors, John Pertwee and Tom Baker, have literally they're playing themselves, really. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Tom Baker is playing himself, and John Pertwee mm. was this 
suave gentleman. Well, they said to play it as John Pertwee, and John Pertwee said, well, I've never played John Pertwee, but I've always played a character. Yeah. But, of course, Patrick Troughton was a character actor, so he played Mm -hmm. it, he just saw this, all right, and was given a, it seems that he was given a bit of direction. So it's interesting each approach of the Doctor, but Mm. Peter's Peter's Doctor works best as, like, the old old man and the young body thing that we get in Frontius Mm. and Mm -hmm. one or two others. If they had played on that more, it would have been more of a hit rate. In terms of his performance, but unfortunately, yeah. But in this, he's very good. He's like like in good. episode four, and we'll get there. He has a silent scene. He doesn't say a word after the mm. master's burnt to death. Yeah, it's all there in his face. Mm-hmm. You know, a lesser actor, you shove a camera in their face and give them no dialogue, they'll flounder a bit. Davison mm. knows exactly what he's doing. The thing that's most annoying, really, about certainly in modern doctors as well, is I think by the third year is when they hit it, they get it. It's yeah. totally they're on their game, mm-hmm. but then of course that's when they leave. Yeah, that's Smith. Well, yeah, but we know. I, I agree with you on that one. I, I think he's good, and then he just gets worse. But yeah, but most doctors, are, not that they're bad in the first few years, but it's the third year where it, it's like yeah, it gels. Yeah, yeah, and then they go, and that's the bloody frustrating thing. I, I really, really wish that Christopher H. Bidmead had stayed as the script editor because oh, he gets. Yeah. You look, if you watch Peter in Frontios, he is mm. brilliant. I think it's one apart from possibly Cage Andrews Army. I think that's the best performance he does. I think, I, think, I, I don't think he gives a bad performance. I think, the, I think Frontios is his best performance and his best characterization as well. Yeah, I do think he's great in Caves as well, though. Oh, he's brilliant in Caves as well. Yeah, I think he's very good in Warriors of the Deep. I know Warriors of the Deep is not the fan favorite, but he's very strong in that. I just like him all the way through. <laughs> and I just want to snog his face off because he's gorgeous. Have you we met him? There? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that seems an appropriate way to end episode 